Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hi, this is Dr. Andy Barlow with the Chiropractic Physician Center of Tupelo and author of the number one best-selling book, The Code Breaker. Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Then call my office at 662-844-1414 and order my new book, The Code Breaker. What is up on a Wednesday? I'm Brian Scott Rippey, my co-conspirator. As always, it's Michael Borky. We appreciate you hanging out with us for the second day in a row. We had a Tuesday podcast yesterday, if you want to go back and listen to that. It was mainly just trying to break down a very complex and dent and uh and uh, I guess not dense, but wide-ranging NCA ruling where the Division One Council gave everyone a year of eligibility back. We had a press conference this morning just before Morky and I hit the record button uh, with Mike Bianco via Zoom uh, that we kind of pitched him some questions, obviously. He didn't really have a ton of answers at this point, and that's not really anything that he can control just because this ruling is so new, but he did offer some thoughts on it. And there were some interesting nuggets, so we will get to that. Uh, we have a guest on today, Matt Barthouse, manager extraordinaire, good guy. He was uh, We were in college together. He was the same age as I am. But he was a manager on the Hoops team from 13 to 17, which is kind of a fascinating time to be a manager because he saw both Marshall Henderson and Steph Moody and uh, worked both in the Tad Pad and in the Pavilion. So saw a lot, to, uh, I guess, one NCAA tournament team because the 12-13 team happened before he came on. But Marshall's second year, all of Stefan Moody had some good stories uh, about being a human parking spot for uh, recruits on the square. Uh, the first time he met Marshall Henderson, he was hitting his hand with a, uh, with a mallet. And uh, a couple of other good ones just working with AK through the years. Uh, gave some good perspective on that 14-15 team that, uh, remember, took that, you know, that Kentucky team in 14-15 in, in was kind of the last, like, super team, like, all-timer team that Ole Miss took to the buzzer uh, and probably should have won the game if Moody doesn't cramp up in overtime or Summers doesn't have that bad turnover. So a lot of interesting stuff. Uh, knows basketball, has worked uh, worked for Mick Cronin, worked for Andy Kennedy, done a bunch of different things. But we'll get to that interview here in a minute. And then we've probably got a couple other topics. We'll see where this takes us. But uh, one, what's up? And two, we'll, uh, we'll get to this uh, Mike Bianco stuff here in a second. What's up? Uh, it's Groundhog Day. That's what's up. Nothing. Literally nothing. <laughs> well, it is April Fool's. I was hoping we'd wake up and this thing would just be over. Dude, I've only seen one April Fool's joke so far. And it was a... New Orleans Pelicans fan account that broke the news that Lonzo Ball was quitting basketball to be a rapper. And, like, I just wanted to just grab these people and say, what the hell is wrong with you? Like, not only is that not funny, but we don't have patience for that shit right now. Like, just, <laughs> just, just stop. Just don't do that. Like, you're – come on. <laughs> I did We're see not we've gotten – We've gotten so, like, nuanced on social media now and everyone – like, social media has become such, like, a fine-tuned, like, thing and fine-tuned weapon. And people, even, like, the more mod, like the more uh, novice users are so savvy at it now is we've now gotten to a level where people were predicting and warning against scheduled tweets and, uh, and April Fool's jokes that are going to go viral and be problematic and get people canceled. Like you had people talking about that and warning about it before it ever actually happened yesterday, which is kind of like the essence of social media is like complaining about things that maybe haven't even happened yet and just might happen. But I, I found that uh, pretty humorous. Um, actually, I'm just going to be in the camp. You're probably still allowed to play an April Fool's joke just because like who cares what other people do. But uh, yeah, this is a pretty shitty April Fool's just because of uh, uh, every day being the exact same as the uh, the one before it. It's uh, yeah. we did get the Will Wade documentary last night, though. I didn't. I didn't know. I see. I didn't actually know that. I would. I would have. Uh, I would have watched it instead. I've been watching the Big Break, uh, which is uh, I've rediscovered on Golf Channel's archives. So I've been watching the Big Break Greenbrier. If you ever into basically Golf's version of uh, The Bachelor, is kind of the closest thing I can describe that as. <laughs> um, so been getting into that. It's actually a really fascinating show because I think it ties in. One, like they towards the later seasons, they started like really focusing a little bit slightly more on like the drama and how the dudes either get along or don't get along. But if you tie that into the, you know, the pressure that comes with playing golf and the ridiculous scenarios they put them in, 
I mean, as as kind of an obscure of a competition it is, it's pretty fascinating because it, it became life-changing stuff. I mean, you got a couple of tour exemptions. You got an Adam sponsorship, 50000 in cash, and a bunch of web tour exemptions. Like, the, the, the later they got, like the later seasons, that show really did be kind of come life-changing if you want it for those people. But anyway, that's your random big break note. Uh, first and foremost, let's just get down to business. We talked to Mike Bianco this morning. Um he had a couple interesting thoughts. He didn't, like I said, still early to tell. He's going to be meeting with uh, all of his players in the coming days and weeks. Is because, you know, when they left, they didn't get exit interviews. They all just kind of had to say goodbye and go home. And so there was an abruptness to it to where you really weren't ever allowed to kind of get – they weren't ever really allowed to kind of get their ducks in a row. And so with this ruling being handed down Tuesday that everyone gets an extra year of eligibility – or Monday, I guess it was – uh, they're still kind of sifting through what all of that means. Um, he had an interesting point. He noted that they don't have they have four seniors and not very many juniors, so they have four seniors and a bunch of sophomores. So from a roster management standpoint, next year he actually thinks that may make things a little bit easier than some other teams that have a bunch of juniors and you're trying to figure out what to do as the juniors come back for like the second iteration of their their year, which I found to be interesting because I never really thought about it that way. Yeah, so who's coming back? All four of them? Uh, what do you think there? I don't know. I don't know what, like, like as we get closer and closer, like, I, I think, I think, I think Sir Video has a chance to go. Like, I think he has a puncher shot at being a top uh, five-round guy. And I think at this point, through all the chaos and everything, if you can get drafted, like, just assuming the draft's going to be five rounds, I know they're leaving the possibility of it being open to more than five rounds, probably not going to be more than 10, but let's just say it's five. I think if you get drafted in your top round, uh, like in those five rounds this year, I think you, and I mean, unless it's toward the end and the money's not right, I think you probably, probably ought to go, uh, right. Just because like, that's one thing that's certain because you don't know how the draft is going to flesh itself out next year. So I think Sir Video's got a chance. I don't really, know, I'll be completely honest. I'm just gonna put my hand up. I don't know what Keenan projects as, um, you know, I've seen a, a wide ranging, excuse me, a wide ranging uh, amount of things that could see him maybe in that fifth, you know, fourth, fifth round category, maybe a little later. I just, I'm not sure. So I would probably say at this point, Sir Video would have the best chance to go. I would think Keenan comes back, but again, I, I, like I said, I don't say that with much confidence. And then you've got the junior college juniors. In uh, Baker and Leatherwood, who I think probably both will come back just because you haven't seen enough there. Uh, ben Van Cleef kind of falls into that category as well. And then Max Chofi is the other junior on the roster. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see what those guys do. Keenan and uh, Servidio are obviously the two guys to keep an eye on. Uh, I guess, uh, gun to my head, if you made me bet, I think they both come back. But then again, uh, who knows? But uh, and again, pretty early uh, in terms of like us asking Mike questions. So like he was still trying to kind of figure some things out, too. It was a uh, like most of these. I appreciated the exercise, but uh, it was kind of an exercise in futility, like a lot of these Skype calls, because there just aren't a lot of answers out there with regards to this, you know, whole global pandemic thing. I mean, we can't get consistent answers from anybody. <laughs> I mean, it'd be different if it was like. The leadership at the top, government, healthcare, whatever. I mean, it, we can't get answers from anybody. Uh, we've got news outlets that are uh, sharing data from China that is very clearly inaccurate, but yet they still do it. It's crazy to me. Like the people that you should trust the most are being irresponsible with data. So how how the hell is a college baseball coach going to know what's next when we can't get like? government leaders to be able to tell us adequately what's next it's crazy yeah there just really aren't that many answers to be had is really what it is it's like it's not it's like nobody's withholding any it's just like nobody knows nobody has any so it's it's interesting one uh one other note that i had just written down from that presser was uh so uh gunner hoagland and doug nikhazy are going to go back to the cape and play summer ball this year 
And the, this come, sophomore going into their junior year, it's a little atypical just because of the amount of the innings. Like, with the amount of innings they were projected to pitch this year, there was really just no need to have them go do that again. But since, obviously, no season and all that, they will be back in summer ball. Uh, the coaches are preparing as if summer ball is going to happen in some form. Mike obviously left the possibility open that the summer leagues either start later or they're tweaked or whatever the case may be, but they're preparing for that. And he thinks you're going to see more kids than usual playing summer ball. Just, I mean, it's common sense here. Like they haven't played baseball in a while. You got to go get them some reps. That's an opportunity to go play later in the summer. Presumably if, if, and when uh, some of this clears up and we get the world back to normal, uh, at least to some degree. So that was uh, part of uh, that was kind of part of his uh, logic behind that, which I kind of agree with. I think you'll see a lot. But Gunner and Doug going back to summer ball this year was an interesting note that I found. Um, they don't really know when they're going to get them back on campus, but Mike basically said just as early as they possibly can. You know, Ole Miss is going uh, online classes this summer, so they really don't have much of a ballpark at all as to as to when they're going to be able to get guys back on campus and work out and things like that. But as soon as they're able, they are going to do it as soon as possible. They just don't really know when. Uh, obviously, I think Mike was in favor of the ruling. I, I don't think I know that. I mean, it's the right thing to do. He's happy to, you know, these kids get a year of eligibility back. One of the things I didn't necessarily think about, and I don't really know why, is aside from his team, you know, he's got two kids that are sophomores uh, in college baseball. Ben is a redshirt sophomore at uh, Louisville and then of course you have Drew down at LSU a true sophomore like they get their year back you know like I imagine for uh, just from a like a parent standpoint having your kids like if they had missed one of their three or four years of college baseball and just not get it back like that's kind of a shitty deal so Mike kind of gets it from both the coaching side to while it's maybe a pain in the ass a little bit to manage the roster uh, but from a parent side, I'm sure he's looking at it as well as like this was the right thing to do. So he kind of has an interesting perspective on it with two kids playing college baseball. Um, he didn't really know a whole bunch about roster management after this year. He did kind of acknowledge that, yeah, there's probably going to have to be some sort of uh, some sort of, uh, you know, spe you know uh, additions or, or, or rule changes or whatever made in the coming years to accommodate uh, all of the you know the players coming in. Basically, he was just saying everything else. Everyone else has been saying that hey, this is not a uh, one-year issue. This is a three, four, five-year issue. Uh, but you know, didn't really seem to know much about that yet. Uh, kind of just like the rest of us, still trying to figure stuff out. They've been gathering information for the last 24 or 48 hours since this ruling came down. And uh, like I said, while I appreciate the teleconference, it's just you know they're figuring out just just like we are kind of like it's not really a whole much whole lot else you can add to it but they do get the year back he was certainly in favor of it uh definitely the right thing to do um it sounds like they're going to get a bunch of their team back for next year and kind of give this whole give this uh another run at it which is going to be fascinating because they were they were certainly on one uh as the kids say when they uh when they had to uh quit this season yeah it's not a, as the kids say unless i'm really cool um I say that. So, you know, however you want to classify me, I say on one. So, ah, there you go. The, Am uh, I cool? That, see, that's a, a question that I've grappled with lately. Like, I went to Lowe's this weekend, I, and I know it's ill-advised to, to not do essentials, but to keep my sanity, I have to do something, and that was yard work. So I went to Lowe's, got a bunch of stuff, did a bunch of yard work, and I remember – driving to and from Lowe's thinking about how excited I was. So I think like that was when I crossed the, the threshold from being, and I never think I was actually cool. Like I was kind of a loser, but I definitely crossed that threshold from being at least like cool ish or like up to date on things to straight dad mode. And it happened on Sunday when I went to Lowe's and I got excited about it. Like, I crossed that threshold and there's no turning back for me now. Like, I might as well go to Costco and buy myself some white tennis shoes and just do the whole thing. <laughs> That's, uh, that is quite, quite something. The, uh, I, I, like, I'm trying to like, give you, like, get, give the listener here an all encompassing thought on the tele, like, on the video conference and, like, what this means, but, like, I just don't think you know yet. Like, you know what I mean? I don't think you know, like, what the wide-ranging effects of this are going to be 
And like seeing Mike Bianco kind of be a little bit undecided and kind of unsure about how this is going to go. Like, how long are we going to have this attitude? Like, not attitude. How long are we going to have all of these questions without solid answers? Like, how long do you think? That's another impossible question. I, yeah. I, mean, certainly, <laughs> I mean, this is like Inception. Um, yesterday, that press briefing, and yet again, another example of just the the inconsistency of information interpretation. Um, a long-winded way to say, I didn't watch the press briefing live. I watched it later, and live during it, like I follow some political people on Twitter or people that will like retweet political takes or whatever. And it was either, wow, this is the most somber I've ever heard the president, no good news, or, wow, some really good news in this press conference. It's like, wait, what the hell? Are you guys watching the same thing or not? Um, But the thing that I took away from that is even though things are going to seemingly get worse, that in the next couple of weeks, if we continue to do this, uh, there might be a positive turn in the number of cases and stuff like that. So it's going to seem like it's getting worse, but in reality, we're doing the right thing. It just may take a little while for it to show. Yeah, it's just like, it feels like we're saying the exact same thing every day. We are. I mean, that's what it is. We are. <laughs> that probably can't, can't help with our, uh, that probably cannot help with our sanity uh, much, but Anyway, let's get to the Matt Barnhouse interview. I think you'll enjoy it. He's an entertaining dude. He's smart, knows a lot of basketball, uh, good guy. But uh, we covered a wide variety of topics. I kind of just let him go, and then I'd kind of steer the ship uh, when necessary. Um, But we talked about Moody, Marshall Henderson, what could have been in that 13 team, the pavilion, the tad pad, being a manager, working for AK versus Kermit a uh, lot of different stuff so I think you'll like it uh, but the interview and the podcast brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger go see Greg the weather's getting nice around the Oxford area again it's like slow 60s and sunny yesterday gonna get a little higher uh, this uh, today but if you want to throw something on the grill after work and not watch the news it's going to depress you go see Greg University Avenue across from Kroger uh, trying to feed the family uh, before uh, or if you're not if you're tired of cooking, I can't talk today, uh, and you want to kind of pick up a quick quick meal for the family and feed the family uh, during this difficult time. He's got a lot of ground beef stuff. The meatloaf is fantastic. We had it a couple weekends ago. Or if you want a steak, he's got all kinds of different stuff. The ribeye sausage is uh, one of the finer creations in life. But go see him, University Avenue, across from Kroger. Here is Matt Barnhouse. All right, we now welcome on basketball journeyman, manager extraordinaire, uh, graphic design expert, uh, Matt Barnhouse. Did I cover every uh, title you have? Uh, I do analytics, too. I wrote an analytics guide that's used by a few D1 programs. Um, I'm just a guy that tries to be I'm – a, I'm, a, I'm a, what is it called, a jack of all trades and a master of none. That's, that's old Matty B. <laughs> well, good to have you on. I know we've been talking about this for a couple of weeks. And then, uh, as we said, like four times in 10 minutes before we started recording and then Corona happened, which is kind of just a popular, uh, I mean, but accurate phrase in this just regards to a bunch of facets of everyone's lives right now. But just uh, wanted to get you on, talk about some different things. You're a manager at Ole Miss. For four years, you worked with Cincinnati Hoops for an additional two years after that with a stop in Maine to work in a basketball camp in between. Uh, let's just go forward before we go back. What uh, Are you trying to get into uh, the Hoops world? Like, Where is that at? What are you doing currently? I'm, I'm trying to get into the Hoops world, whether it be the NBA, the college level, high school level, middle school level. I will coach your elementary school team if you can pay me enough to live on my own, because I am currently recording this from my parents' basement. <laughs> I heard that. And I, we have, but, uh, so like, what, what side would particularly interest you? Like, What side of it would you work in? Because like, one of the things I've learned is just like I'm still fairly new to this, came up student reporter, all that. Jazz, but I realize there's so much more than just being on a coaching staff. There's administrative side, so uh, video, so many other things. Like, what would uh, what would pique your interest as far as uh, joining a uh, let's just say D1 basketball staff? Like, what side would you like to work on? 
Um, based on what my skills are and what I know I can do right now at a very high level, I think video coordinator would be the best opportunity for me because, once again, we were in journalism school together. I can put together video. I can make things look pretty. But also, it's important to know, understand how to contextualize basketball and to what recruits like and to what coaches like and to what information you can give to people that they can actually fundamentally understand and become better bat become better basketball players better basketball coaches shoot gain more affinity with the school or even just make them laugh because quite frankly a lot of times the the biggest struggle you face is awareness um especially at a place like you know i've, I've talked to a couple of mid-majors you're unless you're a duke or a north carolina you people like know you exist but they don't know much about you so you got to do something to stand out and i think that's my best skill my best skill is being weird, strange, and pretty. And putting them all together, shoot, I've gained respect of a lot of coaches out there. But, you know, you just it's one of those situations where for the longest time, it was this horrifying insecurity of, am I good enough? But now I know I'm, I'm good enough, and it's about finding that opportunity. And it's not out of a cocky thing. It's just more of that I know I can – take on any and we'll get into this later i you know i can take on any obstacle i've been told no so many times in my life that and prove people wrong um every time someone says no or says you're not good enough i get better and that's that's what i feed off of As, aside from those uh the the skill set you listed you are also a manager for andy kennedy for four years which uh is basically just kind of podcast gold and honestly when i was a, like ak was the first and really only basketball coach I ever covered because like just been from him to Kermit. So like, I didn't really fully appreciate AK's like uh, wittiness and kind of candor uh, my first couple of years covering basketball, just because I didn't really know anything else. Uh, but now I realized what, uh, what kind of a character he was, what was it like working for him? I know that's just a broad question, but like, how did you, how did you kind of get it in there? And what was it like working in the building with AK every day? So I'm going to, I'm going to, cause I've spent a lot of time with Kermit staff as well. So I'm going to basically put it like this. Kermit is like the dad who you don't want to disappoint. He's not get, he doesn't get mad. He's just disappointed. AK is the very, very, and I mean this in the best way possible. He is the crazy uncle. You don't know what's going to come out of his mouth. You don't know what, what's going to happen, but my gosh, it's always going to be energetic and it's always going to it's going to be something that either makes you laugh or makes you fear for your life. And I mean that in the best way possible because he, oof, it was, you were always on your toes and it's important to be on your toes. You can't get complacent in hoops. Um, he gave me, I don't know how familiar you are with the book Holes, but as managers or whatever, you really aren't anybody until you get a nickname. Like you just don't get, I, I, I went from Matt to Matty Ice from like day three. Um, but he was, he was, he was a wonderful person to work for. I had a lot of issues my first couple of years. I had a lot of maturity issues and he let me fail and he let me get back on that court whenever I did fail. And as a manager where, you know, you're pretty replaceable. There's not, there's not a lot of people out there who probably would have put up with the things that he had to put up with me. And I'm, I'm very grateful for that. Um, you, you see that in the players he's coached. You know, I don't think Marshall Henderson could have been successful for a whole lot of coaches, but he was insanely successful for AK and what he needed at the time. And it's just that ability to take the people who are a little bit off off the beaten path and put them in there and find a way to make it work. Andy Kennedy is a wonderful person for that. Yeah, I would agree with what you said about Marshall. And really, I know this was a year before uh, we both got to college. But that 12 team in general had a lot going on between he and Murph and Reggie and a couple of those other guys. And, like, for a guy that's not necessarily – like, I don't feel like AK always gets enough credit for, like, the personalities he managed. Like, it, I don't want to compare it to the NBA, but that 12 team, just from the things I've heard from and talking from people that were around the program, then it just seems like he managed a lot more – that really had nothing to do with basketball than people probably gave him credit for. I'm sure it was true to some degree with that 13 team, even though they kind of faltered. That 13 team was a whole lot of what ifs. We had a lot of injuries or a lot of players that were playing injured. Um, it just, it, it's one of those things where there's a lot of what ifs. We lost a lot of games because 
for better or worse, Marshall was wonderful on the offensive end. On the defensive end, we struggled a lot, and we had two guards with slow feet. And I can't tell you how many game, games we lost. I think we lost about four games that year, so I guess I can tell you, where we were we were up by two, and then we were in that zone, two, three zone. They get it to the top of the key, and we just can't close out quick enough. They sink a three to lose us. We lost to Dayton that way. We lost to Alabama that way. We lost to Mercer that way. That, that was the Mercer team that beat Duke. And it was it was it was one of those things where you always felt like you could beat anybody, but at the same time it just it just didn't come together. But I'm going to tell you like this. the 1920 team. Oh yeah, who could forget about the 1920 team? <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I said that terribly wrong. I meant like this current this Pat the Kermit's last team, like this 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 last team. Like they were close yep. in a lot of games, but just couldn't win. You know, and there's and speaking of Kermit's team this year, there's a lot of players that showed a lot of, I think, that I'm going to get very, very um, condescending here because just stuff. But the guys like Sammy Hunter that, that, that looked very raw this year, he showcased some abilities, or at least he flashed some abilities that I firmly believe that guys like Sammy Hunter and Luis Rodriguez, they're going to be very important pieces in the future, as crazy as it sounds, because... This, he, a lot of these guys, they just don't have the muscle to start with. But you under, but they understand positioning. They understand, they understand the small things. And once they get the muscle down, and once they get the timing down a little bit more, they can go from crazy good to crazy great. And you, one person that you saw that with the most within the past five years or so was a guy named Terrence Davis Jr. I don't know if you want to talk about him a little bit, but I being in practice with him every day it's it's just you always saw that he was a future nba player and it was just became about consistency he would go into practice i'm changing the subject but like he would go no, into by practice. all means go ahead but uh, to feed you onto that how real was the narrative about how often he was told that uh, he should have played football that was mostly a media thing um and it was okay. frustrating because when he was at Ole miss like who was our wide receiver? We had like four NFL draft picks at wide receiver. What's TD going to do on that depth chart, man? Um, That's a good point. It's like, can he play corner? Can he play linebacker? Then all, by all means, play football. Now, one player that should have played football was Eustace Fermanovichis because he was, he was good at two things. He was good at being big and catching rebounds in traffic. Do you know what tight ends do? They're big and they catch balls in traffic. Put Eustace Fermanovichis out there, but TD... Ah, when, if you saw that guy in practice where one day he would go 16 for 17 from the floor and the next day he was 0 for 19 from the floor, you, were just, you just had this feeling that if he could get any kind of consistency, that this guy is not only going to be an NBA player, but he's going to be successful in the NBA. Even by his senior year, he, when he went to the draft night, I had a big board. Um, I had him somewhere in the 20 to 30 because I, I did believe he was an NBA player. I also believe that he would have to be in the right situation. He's not like a guy that can come in and average 20 right away. He'd have to go into a role. But he's also someone with the athleticism where his ceiling is still very much untapped. I honestly do believe that. I don't know if he's ever going to be an all-star, but I do believe he's going to be making like $100 million one day. He's going to, he's, he could be like a Danny Green, one of those guys that just every winning team needs a guy like Terrence Davis Jr. And you saw it this year too. Who do you go to? Bree and Tyree scores 40 points, but you got to have another guy. Blake Henson, wildly inconsistent. He's got to get more consistent. Let's see. Um, Kadeem C, when his head's in the game, he's good, but his head's got to stay in the game. Um, and it's not necessarily me trying to hate, but it's just I'm just trying to be real. Um, Terrence Davis, he was always his head was always in the game. And whether what, it was what, consistent. What was the difference between he – like what clicked in the last year under Kermit like, I'm not making a Kermit versus AK thing because, like, you saw him come along early in his career. And I remember particularly, like, the 16 team where it was, like, you heard the word raw a lot. It's like Terrence Davis is raw. But, like, you saw it particularly, like, from a media standpoint, we saw it a lot in transition to where it's like he made some plays where it's kind of like, oh, holy, holy shit. Like, this guy has freakish athleticism. What do you think changed that last year that really kind of allowed him to take off? This is just me spitballing because I'm obviously not TD and – I talk to him occasionally, but I haven't talked to him in like a bit. I probably should give him a call. But um, when he found out, he was it's amazing what a little bit of responsibility will do to you. I've noticed that in my own life. But when he finds out he's about to be a dad or he, or even, even could be something where you're going to your senior year and you find out, oh, crud, I, I'm about to have to 
I'm about to have to provide, it 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 clicks a switch. It clicks a switch, and to realize you got to take all of this more seriously. You got to you got to do things. You can't be doing things the way you did before. You have to focus on making sure that the people in your life are taken care of. And but also, there was just a lot of little things that that um basically you know he he finally put together. But also in another way, um, I do think that Kermit's motion offense helped him a lot. Because um, with AK's offense, it helped him learn a lot of pro set style things like coming off the of screens, off ball, being able to catch and shoot real quick. AK's offenses are perfect for that. Now Kermit's offense was a nice a nice thing to help adjust his game. It really helped his playmaking ability and his dribbling ability because it involves a lot of passing and motion. And while there are screens, it's it's a lot of filling space and it's a lot of understanding where you are on the floor. A lot of understanding, okay, this is where I have to go, a little more freelance-style stuff. And quite frankly, I think that really helped even out his game, being a couple years under AK and one year under Kermit. Um, but most of all, I, it's, it's a lot coming from within. He worked his butt off. It's, there's, there's been a few players that we've had that's been more talented than TD. I think I'm not going to say them out loud, but one of them might have played in the Olympics. Um but it comes down to talent takes you so far. Talent's probably about 75, 80% of what gets you in the NBA. But that 20%, that is so important. And not a lot of people have that. Not a lot of people have that willingness to be 20%, to not only do it for themselves, but be a good teammate. TD, wonderful human being, wonderful teammate. And if you're not going to be a superstar, you can't be an a-hole, man, because because. Lock, there's, there's, you're you're super replaceable, um, unless you're unless you're LeBron, unless you're you know Anthony Davis. I guess I just named the Lakers. You're replaceable. What? And, uh, oh, finish that thought. No, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. What? Uh, what you 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 got an interesting perspective from Marshall Henderson because the second year obviously was not. Not nearly the same as the first. You mentioned them working through a lot of injuries. I think Jarvis Summers in particular was kind of a shell of himself towards the end there. But uh, what was the uh, first time you met Marshall? What was that like? So I'm just a scraggly freshman, man. Like I, in high school, I was five foot two. I grew to six foot one before before I got to college. So I was like six one and 125 pounds, scared of the world. Walking, I see this guy with super long, scraggly hair with a rubber mallet. And he's just smacking it into his hand like, last year on campus. Last year on campus. And I'm used this to... This is a locker room? This is not the locker room. This is like the video room. We're okay. just... We're just okay. he's, he had to fill out some sort of form for housing. And I can't remember what it was. But, you know, it's the NCAA. So there's just a lot of red tape involved with anything. And I didn't think it was Marshall. Because I watched this guy on TV the year before. It's like, that's not... I don't know who this skinny son of a gun is, but my gosh, he looks like the the animal from uh from the Muppets. You know the dude that played the drums. That's that's what <laughs> yeah. like. And then it turns around, and like, oh my gosh, you're Marsh Henderson. So I'm like, yeah, uh, I hey, I'm Matt. He's like, I'm your new manager. He's like, yeah, I'm Marshall. Oh man, can I live in a frat house? It's like, okay, dude. <laughs> it's it's the craziest thing because he just doesn't change his. It's not an act. He is on all the time, whether it be whether it be in practice, off the court, on the court. Um, shoot, even I was I was at his sister's. I was friends with his sister. I I was at his sister's wedding. He was on then. He's just he's just one of those intense dudes that, as you know, he's for better or worse, he's going to give his all. It might not always be in control, but he's going to give it his all. Wait, so hold on, go back to this rubber mallet. He's hitting himself with it? Well, his fist. Like you know how like he would, yeah. he would like hammering his hand, like, yes, last year on campus. Last year on campus. Craziest like, oh, shareable thing you saw that he did, whether on the court, off the court, whatever, in that year. There was one year where there was one time in practice where this is this is the one thing that you see it was probably the epitome of the relationship between AK and Marshall it was Marshall got frustrated and once again he does something impulsive he kicked the ball into the stands and then AK just immediately stops the entire practice and he just starts screaming I I put my job on the line for you I 
I gave everything to you. You could be out on the street doing nothing, and you still have a spot on this team. And what are you doing? You're just kicking this stupid ball. Get out of here. So it was <laughs> it was there was a lot of yelling in practice, but it was one of those things where it was it was because that's how you get Marshall. You can't you can't just say, now Marshall, I know, Patty. I know that you want to be doing these things, but you, you, you can't be doing these no more. You can't, you can't do that with Marshall. You got to like, you, you got to yell at his face and he doesn't take offense to it. He's just like, okay, coach, whatever. You can't the, get uh, So that's interesting. Cause I think KK had a famous line at the on a teleconference at the end of the, the run after Marshall graduated and like, what is life after Marshall Henderson going to be like? And he said, he finally probably add water to his scotch again towards, uh, like, did you see a change in Marshall's demeanor towards the end of that year when it kind of would became apparent that there wasn't going to be much of a postseason? Um, I think you just saw a lot of you just saw a lot of uh, you saw a lot of people that were. I felt like practices after I think it was after we dropped Florida. Um, we we almost beat number one team in the country in Florida. It was difficult. Um, I had a, you know, I was naive. I, I was still thinking, oh, we can win a national championship and we didn't even make the NIT. And, but it just, it just seemed like people were preparing for next year and next year was really great. You saw Stefan Moody and, um, but let's see, what was I going to say? It was a strange demeanor. It felt like a funeral. Um, yeah, because it was the end of an era of someone that gave so much, and all we could do was lose to Georgia in the SEC tournament, going like three for a jillion from the from the field, and we cried. It was tough. It was it was time to move on. And then you get the new guys like MJ Rhett and Stephon Moody. And we were able to do some amazing things the next year, but without without Marshall Henderson, without guys like Jarvis Summers, without guys like Aaron Jones, you don't get there. You don't get to that point where you can get those kinds of guys. And yeah, it was amazing. That 14-15 team was pretty fun uh, to watch. And I covered them some at that point. I wasn't fully on basketball at that point. But I was doing some different stuff at, at the time. And they, they were a fun team. What was uh, Moody had a different, like, like he, when he jumped on, people always say he looked like he floated. But, like, did he actually was one of those dudes where he looked like he floated. What was it like when you saw him for the first time? What, was, like, what did you think of the athleticism? Because it was kind of unlike anything I've ever seen. It was basically, oh, I knew he was going to be good based on watching this film, but it was basically like, imagine if it was like Nate Robinson, but my first thought was really like, this guy's Marshall Henderson if he took less stupid shots. And then he he's at a the more number. efficient Marshall. Yeah, he's a more efficient, he was literally from the same mold. The way he, his twitch movements were, he could, we had this one play that we ran, like, I think we probably ran about 25 times a game, where it was just, set two screens right under the right under the rim and then we have him run across the baseline then you turn around catch the ball shoot that moody was perfect at that and that's what we ran for marshall and he was so good as a shooting guard he could just go into passing lanes and steal the ball just like marshall now his senior year once again kind of like marshall where it was like we were clearly outmatched a lot of times and he had to do a lot more than he probably should have had to and guess what we didn't do as well um, but Moody's one of those guys where if he was six foot two, he'd be a top five pick. He's, I mean, he's incredible. He is the most incredible athlete I've ever been around. They didn't close out that game that year at Kentucky where Kentucky went all the way and then decided to lose to Wisconsin in the final four. But that game, Ole Miss up the whole game. He had the bad Jarvis turnover at the end of regulation. Moody cramps up in overtime. Well, did anything change about that team after that loss? Just because even in a loss like that, they hung and kind of belonged on that floor for a long time and probably should have won the game against an all really kind of the last all-timer team in college basketball, in my opinion, unless I'm missing someone. Like that Duke team last year got a lot of publicity, but they really kind of regressed down the stretch. This was like an all-time team. What was it like, like, I guess, that season post that game? We had confidence. We had confidence. First, two things happened. First, we had confidence. And second, Moody got an IV before every game before that because he just has such low body fat percentage. <laughs> yeah. that 
you cramp up so easily when you're like like normal humans, your minimum body fat percentage is supposed to be like five or six percent. And even for athletes, that's usually about even if you're like a freak athlete, you're about five. He was at like two percent body fat, man. You can't. That's that's just like that's just at a level of just absurd, crazy things. But then your body can't lubricate as well, and therefore you get cramped. Um, but we had confidence, and I believe we went on a huge winning streak right after that, and it just gave us. We felt like we could go into every game. We could be any team in the country. And then near the end, you know, Jarvis is playing on 80-year-old knees and feet or whatever. Um, it was it was funny because, um, once again, going back to manager stories, we go to Dayton. Well, they go to Dayton. There wasn't, you know, I'm not a booster, and I'm not a member of the media, and I was a sophomore manager, so I didn't get to go to Dayton. Um, but I did get to drive 10 hours to Jacksonville, Florida to watch some real fat dude for Xavier drop 20 on us. That was fun. The Uber driver. The Uber driver. Yeah, it was great. Um, so I drive, I drove, you know, that's the craziest thing about people don't realize about being a manager and how much dedication it takes. I would drive five, 10 hours just to not even be able to watch the game. I would be in the back room editing film for coach so that he would have a commercial free video at the buzzer. Um, it takes a lot of dedication to do for, and a lot of love for the game, what you do. Um, and, you know, a lot of people were, you know, would see me my junior and senior year because by my junior and senior year, my role became I, I was sick of doing laundry for the team because, quite frankly, laundry sucks, whether it's your own or sweaty basketball jerseys. So I'm like, hey, I'm pretty good at Photoshop. Why don't I do the recruiting, Photoshop recruiting? And just I'll need time to do that. So less laundry. And they're like, they're like OK, cool. And so. I needed something to do during game days, and so I became the mop boy, which was fine, whatever. But then, but then you get this perception. Like I think one podcast literally told me, "Yeah, when we need a mopper, we'll we'll, we'll give you a call." So it's 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 interesting that you know I got respect. I got the respect of coaches that are, you know in my Rolodex, and then I can't even get on a podcast. I got on your podcast, but I'm just I'm I'm being very petty right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> The uh, last uh, fi- finishing up here, last couple of thoughts. Uh, you told me that you, you mentioned you were a human parking spot. What what does that mean? So during recruiting season, especially during the spring, the weather's nice. People were of course going to take recruits to the square. Well, you know, before the parking garage was there, the parking garage is the best invention ever. By the way, it, it was very difficult to get parking on the square. So. Do you know who becomes a parking spot and that has to sit in a parking spot for three hours until coach can get there? That's right. It's Maddie B. I was a human parking spot, but gosh darn it, it helped us. The recruits, they were able to get right to where they needed to go. They didn't have to search for parking. They had a great experience. They had a great time, and it helped us win games. And guess what? I worked pro bono for the first two years, so I was doing this for free. So are you, are you saving it for AK specifically or just whoever drives up with the recruits? It's, it's sometimes it was for AK. Sometimes it was for an assistant coach. It was never for Matt. Um, what, is he, what is he saying when he gets out? What's AK say when he gets out well, of the car? After I, he's sitting in the no, parking I don't, spot. I don't even get to say anything because I'm driving out of that parking spot and he's driving in and I'm on my way to, I'm probably, I'm a nerd. You see? So I had, I had this thing called homework. And I had this thing called, you know, I have to keep my GPA up to um, keep my scholarships because my basketball, even when I was on scholarship, it was like $1,000 a year. But then it was $2,000 a year for my second semester. So I'm working in my, you know, academic scholarships for about eight grand. So it's like, well, I, I got to continue working hard on the in the classroom so that maybe, you know, I'm not completely in debt. And so I'm debt free now. I'm, I, I don't make a lot of money right now, but I'm debt free. Um, which once I'm making it about me again, but it's just one of those things where it's like you, you, you have to balance all of these tensions. You have to balance all of these responsibilities, whether you're a student athlete or a student manager. And when, when that, you know, especially when your money's coming from so many different places, it's, it, it can be a difficult thing at times. Oh, uh, one note, I would be remiss if I didn't ask this before you, you went from the tad pad, you went with the team from the tad pad. To the pavilion, did AK christen the uh, uh, the tad pad before they left in any sort of special way? I kind of tongue in cheek there. And then on a more serious note, what, what was that change like? That had to have been just kind of an instant program changer. It's it was from from 
it was just incredible to have a spot. We used to have to change in a tiny walk-in closet because we didn't have a locker room. And then we, everything was just, it's still, I've been around, I've been around to a lot of schools, a lot of stadiums. It is the best college basketball arena I've ever been in. And it's, and it just feels, I can't imagine how it was for AK to have to be in the dirt tad pad for so long. And even with the renovations, it was still crap. And then you get into this place. It's just beautiful. It's, it's like, I don't know what, what heaven's like. I've never been to heaven because I am alive on this earth, but I do imagine it's like being greeted at the pearly gates of the pavilion because you've just been in such a terrible place for so long and you're greeted, you're greeted. It's like, welcome home. Welcome home. Well, I'm sure AK never made any snide comments about the tad pad ever. Oh no, he would never. Um, Honestly, I, I think a lot it, that was probably played out by the time by the time I was there because the pavilion was already being built by the time I was there. So we were just focusing on the pavilion rather than talking about how bad the tad pad was. Now I can't tell you what's terrible. The Georgia Dome, the Georgia Dome has one washer and one dryer in the entire Georgia. Well, that doesn't exist anymore, but it had one washer and one dryer. <laughs> That's and pretty insane for such a when, large building. When you're in the SEC tournament, there's like four loads of laundry to do after every game. Because you got to do the coaches, like the warm-ups, the jerseys, everything. So when you're playing that 10 p.m. game and all the laundromats are closed, you have one washer and one dryer, and you're there. Now, we lost by the time it was my night, so in a way, selfish way, it was like, oh, hey, what's up? But I feel bad for anybody that's ever had to do their team's laundry in the Georgia Dome, man. It's horrible. I heard that. Well, Matt, I appreciate the time today. This was uh, this is a lot of fun. We'll have to do it again soon. Uh, just <laughs> this, uh, we've got a lot. Of, we've got nothing but time and uh, a lack of topics. So we'll uh, we'll definitely have to do this again soon. This uh, this was fun. I appreciate it. We can talk if you want to talk NASCAR. Um, I can be on the pod too because I've got I've got some takes. I've got we- some takes. Also, bad NBA takes. I, man, look, man. <laughs> Put me on. I'm, I'm, put me in, coach. The, uh, we actually pitched a topic a while back about one of us on the radio show learning NASCAR because none of us have a clue. So we might I, have to workshop that. One of our technicians also, is a also, big NASCAR guy, too. Another one is laundry movies. You know movies that are, like, good enough for you to pay attention to but not so good where, like, if you had to leave, you don't really care how it ends? I'm talking about 55 to 65% on Rotten Tomatoes movies. That, that's a passion of mine. I want to talk laundry movies. I heard that, my friend. We will uh, we'll chat again soon. I appreciate your time. Be safe, and uh, good luck with everything. Hey, always a pleasure. And that was Matt Barnhouse. I appreciate it. He was, uh, he was pretty entertaining. I, uh, I enjoyed that. We rambled, as we do pretty often on this podcast, but I uh, covered a lot of different topics. I found his perspective on Moody and uh, Marshall pretty interesting. He uh, – he was uh, he's firmly in the camp of uh if Moody had been 62 he'd have probably been a top 5 draft pick in the NBA. I would tend to agree with that cuz never really seen a guy with that kind of athleticism. Well, and he was skilled too. Like he wasn't just a guy that relied on it and sorry about this again. My uh my wife is uh, we're lucky enough that we still are both um able to to work and and haven't lost our financial means yet. However, Little guys behaved all morning long, and then we hit record, and he decided he wanted to uh, to just start singing to me. But, yeah, man, and Stephon Moody wasn't just an athlete either. Like, that's what you thought about Terrence Davis early. He became a very skilled basketball player, but early it was like, yeah, dude's got the skill set to be an NBA player, or, or athleticism to be an NBA player, but the skill set's not there. Moody had everything, just was not tall enough, and that's what stopped him. He was a more efficient marshal, as you heard me and Barnhouse describe it. He was basically Henderson with a lot of the same twitch motions, and AK ran a lot of the same actions off screens and stuff. It was just Moody was a better passer and didn't take as many dumb shots. And not necessarily a slight to Marshall, but it's just kind of the truth. And so that was one of Bill Armstrong's bigger recruiting lands. Uh, now Will Wade assistant Bill Armstrong. But like after life after Marshall Henderson, AK asked him to go find another one, and he uh, he did so and found it a more efficient version. So that was a uh, that was a good run for Ole Miss hoops. Two NCAA tournament appearances in three years, you know, back to back entertaining volume scores. Um, 
but yeah, it was just an interesting time. Another thing, another thing I found interesting is he he kind of saw the evolution of Terrence Davis as well. And as you heard in the interview, I was just asking him what he like the you should have played football. Was that actually a thing? More of a media thing type of thing. But like the uh, in, in seeing him evolve his last year and kind of uh, kind of just shoulder the responsibility of hey, I've got a chance to make it to the NBA here if I kind of tighten up and and take this thing seriously. And he certainly did. Like a, a, TD's maturation not just as a human being in his last year and a half at Ole Miss was uh, something to behold and uh, Barnhouse kind of got a front row seat to watch that <laughs> one of the things he pointed out is TD was an all-state wide receiver but he was like what was he going to do playing football at Ole Miss they had four NFL wide receivers on the roster where was he going to play I was like I've never really thought about that before well that and I mean he was he was a very good high school player and I have no doubt that if he'd have focused on football, he'd have been a very good football player too. But, I mean, don't you think that it, people talk about it as if, like, oh, yeah, he'd have been an NFL first-round pick if he'd have played football. And I don't think he was that kind of prospect, was he? Uh, he was an all-state wide receiver. I think he was a four-star recruit, actually. Uh, I thought it was a three. Maybe it was three. Maybe it was one of those rivals three, or rivals four, two, four, seven, three, whatever. But, I mean, I think he could have played D1 football. Uh, one of the things yeah, – Yeah, the, 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 of course he could have played Division One football. Uh, the, uh, he was a three st- – well, I don't know if this is basketball or football. <laughs> the, uh, one, of the, uh, one of the things that Matt pointed out was like, you know who could have played football? It, it, it was, uh, he talked about Eustace Furman offices. He was like, that guy could go – he could play hard. He could set screens and uh, go get rebounds in traffic. He would have been the perfect tight end. Can you imagine Eustace playing tight end for Hugh Freeze? Uh, well, Hugh Freeze um, probably would have taken him, right? I mean, tight end was kind of an issue for him outside of Evan Ingram. He had a couple of decent ones his freshman year, and Ingram was used more in the pass game, although he was a complete tight end and didn't give the credit. But wasn't tight end depth an issue for them? Yeah, I mean, they didn't really have much after him. They had kind of the Liggins thing. It wasn't really a tight end, but they kind of used him some at one point. And then, uh, but yeah, pretty much after Ingram, it was a bit of a depth thing. And now a lot of that was uh, Octavius Cooley not necessarily being ready toward, until towards the end of his career. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I just thought the idea of, uh, of Eustace playing football was kind of funny. But anyway, I appreciate Matt's time. That was a... Uh, that was an entertaining interview. Uh, I'll try to come up with some more guests in the weeks to come that just kind of have interesting stories. But worked for two D1 basketball coaches trying to crack back into the hoops game. Uh, appreciate his time. What else do we have to get to today? I saw that you were telling me I've been out of pocket this morning just between God uh, talking to Barnhouse, the uh, talking to Bianco and all of that. Uh, there, there's some controversy about whether the NFL draft should happen via video conference or not. Yeah, Adam Schefter, uh, gosh, I'm sorry. Um, come on, buddy. Come on. It's okay. God. <sighs> sorry. Um, Adam Schefter said that uh, he can't believe that they're holding the draft when there's carnage in the streets right now. Um, I think it's coming from this idea, while it's a serious thing and we should take it seriously, that there are people that are – trying to one-up each other on I don't know how to describe it without sounding like an asshole but like being woker than the next person and I think this applies here I mean he literally said that the NFL should not have a draft and they would do it via like video conference and stuff they're obviously not going to Vegas and doing it that way while he was working from home via video conference. So why should he be allowed to work and continue to do his job through video means, but the NFL should not continue to work and do their jobs through video? I mean, there are companies all across the country right now that are operational, that are working, that are doing things digitally, remotely at home, and it's not tone deaf that they're doing it. So why is it tone deaf that the NFL plans to do this? And I would welcome the distraction of not having to sit and watch Fox or CNN and hear about how awful being quarantined is. Like, I, I think there's a, a balance to where 
you can be appropriate, have the appropriate tone with the situation and not. Like, if they were still holding the event, that would be an issue. But if they're going to do it all digitally and through video means, why should they not do it? It's safe. It's not making anybody travel. It's not doing anything other than trying to conduct business just like most people are. I don't get it. What's the outrage? Yeah, I mean, I don't really, if you're not like if you're following, obviously, the uh, all these social guidelines, I don't really see the issue with it. Uh, I wonder if there's some inside baseball here where this is just going to make Schefter's job more difficult. And he's getting all pissy about that. Like, I guess how in theory, I mean, hell, I don't know. Is there really a ton for him to do on the draft anyway, except for spoil all the draft picks like, and try to be Woj? Have you noticed how bad Schefter wants to be Woj? <laughs> oh, man. That's a pretty good analogy. But I don't know. Yeah, I don't really have a problem with it. Like, we need the distraction. Like, if we're not going to have real sports, why can't we have the draft? Like I said, if you're not breaking any guidelines, and like, I don't having the – now, it does suck for some of the dudes because the in, the NFL draft is really the only, like, spectacle for the – for the ah, that's not true. I shouldn't have said that. The NBA is to a degree. But, like, the NBA – the NFL draft, like, a huge deal. A lot of people there um, – but, like, it's one of those things, like, that would suck for the players not being able to go on stage and shake, you know, Roger Goodell's hand with the hat as everyone's booing Goodell and half the people are maybe booing the draft pick, that type of thing. But I don't know. I'd like for it to carry on as planned. If it's not carry on, like, my, my thing with the Schefter thing, when are you going to have it? Because we're, we're not even close to a position where you're going to have that many people in a room for a long time. If you're not going to have it as scheduled, like, when are you going to have it? When's a better time? There isn't a better time. Because if you are going to play football this fall, you kind of have to know who's going to be on your team and who's not. It just that, That's what I'm talking about. It's And, and I, again, I, I can't say this without sounding like a jerk because this is a serious deal. But, I mean, we're continuing to work. My, I, in, in a small group message, all of them are working still. They're at home. They're doing it safely. But they are still working. Everybody is con- trying to conduct business, and some people can't. Like local small businesses, for example, retail stores, restaurants, they're screwed. It, I mean, it sucks for them. And I've seen media people getting put on furlough or in some cases just getting fired because of this, and it's terrible. So we're kind of lucky that we're able to still work. But, I mean, I've got a buddy that's an in insurance. He still has to work every day. So why is it so tone deaf when they're trying to – to do what everybody else is doing. You can take things seriously. You can deliver the appropriate message. You can talk about social distancing and the importance of that and flattening the curve while also still trying to conduct business because the NFL is not just football. That And somebody like Adam Schefter on this big platform on ESPN should know that. It's not just about playing games for fans to be happy. They're businesses that employ a shit ton of people. And there is a lot of money and livelihoods at stake when it comes to professional or amateur sports. So why is somebody on ESPN talking about how it's not right because there's carnage in the streets? And I know it's bad, but my goodness, that's a little extreme, don't you think? I mean, New York's it's a nightmare in New York City. It's a nightmare. But the same city where it's the worst had people lining up on the streets to watch a ship come in a couple days ago. There's not carnage in the streets. It, to, to have that platform and to, to talk like that when you know it's more than just a game for entertainment, that's more tone deaf than putting a draft on via video conference. Yeah, what show did he, like, what setting was this that he say it on? And the reason I asked On was, an SVP show. Oh, okay, never mind then, because, like, a lot of times when they get them on get up and first take and stuff, they like those reporter types, they get them to take kind of their reporter hat off and kind of dive into the cesspool that is the hot take thing. So I was going to give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt if it were like Stephen A. Smith and Kellerman like yelling at each other and Schefter just wanting to get in on the fun. But that's interesting. Hey, I didn't do you want to hear? I, I can play the audio through my microphone here. Yeah, go ahead. I'll just let's why the hell not? We got nothing else. Let's see here. I, I'm trying to figure out to where I can use a USB mic and play it from my computer, but I have not done so yet. So here it is. 
people's hope that it happens, frankly. We all want that back. We all want to see the days where we have that distraction of football. But OTAs, that's no not shot. happening. Yeah. The off-season program, that's not happening. The draft is happening only through the sheer force and determination and lack of foresight from Phil Franklin. I mean, they are determined to put this on. Well, there is carnage in the streets. I got people walking off all over. I got so, yeah. That's odd. <laughs> I don't know. That just seems like, particularly as a reporter, that just kind of seems unnecessary. Like, oh, I mean, Whatever, if that's his opinion, I'm not saying he can't have it. I just, I don't get it. Whatever. I mean, it's, if it's, I think people need the distraction. That's why I wasn't, even as, as we talked about on yesterday's show, even if it is logistically impossible, I'm not against the NBA floating out these ideas uh, to try to finish the season. Cause I think the quicker we can have some semblance of normalcy and some semblance of distraction, as long as it is not contributing to the demise of public health, then I think we should be able to do it. I think that's a pretty, like, even-headed, even, even-keeled stance that most people are taking. It's not anything profound there, but like, I guess it does bother me the people that just continue to poke holes in these ideas without actually any solutions. Like the the safest, most like outrage-friendly stance you can take is just to shoot or shoot down and shit on every single idea everyone has, and just like, no, actually, we're going to be miserable for twenty-four months. Right, and like it. So the NBA going somewhere, it, it seems a little crazy. It does. But yeah, people, nope, not happening. Nope, it's dumb. Not happening. Like, definitively, when J.J. Redick today on your favorite show, Get Up, was like, yeah, the players want to do it. We want to play. So they're, it, the, the disconnect between some people that work in media and, like, reality is, is kind of funny to me. No, it's never going to happen. Nope. Nope, it's stupid. It doesn't make sense. It's not going to happen. And then literally an NBA player is like, uh, we we want to. So that's why we're trying because we want to. I don't do, do you just not listen to the peep the stakeholders involved in this? I don't get it. Yeah. I don't know. I hope there's a draft. I uh, I liked your idea of spanning it out like a pick a week or around a or a pick a day or around around a day, day or something just to like just give us do, something do to round number 1 on a Monday, because that's when you would get the most ratings, and Tuesday, dude, round two. You've got nothing else to do, and it'll give – I mean, my God, you want to dominate the sports cycle when people are desperate for it? Do your draft for a week instead of three days. Yeah, that's uh, – that. I would agree with that. I don't know. I don't agree with Schefter's take on that. Is there anything else in the sports world that's just been kind of pressing? It's been uh, – uh, we're hitting the dog days of this quarantine. There is the, I mean, the will, the, uh, the documentary uh, last night on HBO. Um, it, you didn't get to watch it. So basically how it seemed to go. And you might have a different feeling when you get to watch it. Uh, my first thought is it feels like they wasted a lot of, taxpayer money to investigate something that the FBI probably would have been suited to um, find something more serious to investigate, uh, if that makes sense. It just seems like they everybody wasted time here. It's not that important. Uh, nobody's really a victim. Painting the schools as a victim is a joke, and it affirmed what we already know that uh, Will Wade's I mean, just brazen and wide open. And if he does not get some kind of punishment from the NCAA, everybody should just cheat their asses off for the rest of the time. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of they're kind of at the this as big. I do it agree as a gigantic. But I thought that at the time, like I, I thought it was a gigantic waste of money. It's like, why is the FBI going into college basketball? I get there's like some. I guess semblance evidence of like fraud there or like some some uh, remnants of fraud just with like steering kids to schools and all that. But like, don't you have better things to, to use taxpayer money on? But it does kind of put the NCAA at a crossroads. Like the, 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 the classic message board phrase of it's going to become the Wild West if so-and-so doesn't get punished kind of comes to fruition here because if you don't punish these dudes that got caught in this, then who the hell is going to be scared of anyone? Man, and when you, we already knew what the audio said, but it, it's it's the same thing, not the same thing. 
it's very different things, but it's a similar phenomenon to like the Ray Rice video. You know what he did, and it's it it sounded terrible, and the punishment didn't feel like it was enough. But then video came out, and it just it tugged at your emotions differently. You know when you got to actually see the action instead of hear it. Similar phenomenon here. You know what Will Wade said, but when you hear it, you think, "Wow, he he really said that just out in the open." I mean, it is clear as day that he was talking about financial means and not anything else. It's indefensible, completely indefensible. And if he gets away with it, I mean, Kermit Davis just needs to start signing parts of his paycheck over to recruits because nothing's going to happen anymore. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) a strong-ass offer indeed. I'm going to have to watch this before we reconvene on Friday, though. Because I feel like we'll be, have to be, we'll be able to have a better conversation about this whole thing when both of us have seen it and not just one of us. I wish I had known that last night. I wish I had watched it last night. I was just unaware it had come out. So we'll do that on Friday. Um, I think that's about all we've got for today. I hope you enjoyed the Barnhouse interview. Um, we'll be back at it Mailbag Friday, the People's Quarantine. Send us your questions because uh, we need the People's content now more than ever, as you can tell from us rambling through a couple of podcasts this week. But uh, if you've got any guest ideas, uh, any sort of topics you want to discuss, just hit, them, uh, hit me in the Twitter DMs. Just tweet me, text me, email me, whatever the case may be. But we appreciate you guys listening. Hopefully we have and can continue to keep you entertained through this bizarre and unprecedented time but Borky and I will be back at it on Friday remind you one more time if you're in the Oxford area go support LB's uh not a better time to support local businesses than now but go see him University Avenue across from Kroger steaks custom cut sausages he's got a lot of ready-made stuff a lot of ground beef uh, for you to take home and heat up and uh feed your family feed yourself very quickly and easily through this quarantine but go see Greg LB's University Avenue across from Kroger Borky and I will be on the radio show this afternoon, 3 to 6, and we'll be back at it for Mailbag Friday. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.